joining us today for a literal author chat. We're going to try to provide you with an opportunity to share some new text you may not have experienced with your students and then have this chat with an author whose work is on the literal platform. So I'm going to introduce our author, Gary Robinson, who's here with us, and then we'll have a chat that you'll be able to share with your students. And then we'll talk about some of his process and his work. And I'm sort of hoping your students see a little bit of themselves. And Gary, I've had an opportunity to meet with him and I think it's a fantastic opportunity for your students. And after all of that, I'm going to share with you some things that uh, Gary has coming out. Hopefully he'll share some things with us too. And then we'll wrap up. Throughout this recording, you may hear us reference books or resources. And don't worry about pausing to catch those. We'll send that all out with an email at the end. Any titles we reference or links, we'll include that all. So don't worry about that. Um, and so having taken care of the housekeeping, welcome. Gary, we're so glad you're here. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoy being here talking about books, particularly um, in a setting that's going to be shared with students. So thank you for that. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. Well, I'm going to tell a little bit about you and feel free to interject if you'd like to add anything. So Gary is an award-winning writer, filmmaker, producer. He has, he has Choctaw and Cherokee descent. Did I say that properly? Yeah, yes. Great. And he's participated in the production of more than 100 educational, informational training and documentary television projects, primarily on Native American topics. That's a lot of content. Yeah. And you were awarded Best Animation Award for the short film, We Are All Related, at the 40th Annual American Indian Film Festival. And I was able to look that up. It's very worth looking up for those people who are listening in. And you were the writer, producer, and director of that film. And it's on nativeflix.com if you want to go see it there. Um, he's the author of eight Pathfinder novels. So Thunder on the Plains, Tribal Journey, Son Who Returns, Little Brother of War, and the Billy Buckhorn uh, trilogy. And there's three of those. And his recent novel, Standing Strong, which is my favorite, is about a young water protector finding her path to dedicating her life to the greater whole. And it was chosen by the American Indians Children's Literature as best book of 2019, which I am not surprised at all. That book will suck you in. So don't start it if you have something else to do today. That's my advice. Um, he's also written Warriors to Soldiers, Language of Victory, and Powerful Medicine, which is going to be part of a trilogy. Is that right? Well, that, that one's kind of uh, going through some, if you want to divert to talk about it, it's going through some transformations because Johnny Geronimo uh, will be coming out next year in a graphic novel. Oh, wow, you mentioned that. Yeah, so that's kind of shifting gears and moving in the graphic novel zone uh, to be published by Red Planet Books out of Albuquerque. And graphic novels are really hot and interesting right now, so that's definitely something to look forward to. Um, and I didn't have a chance to look up these um, 12 Days of Christmas and Native American Night Before Christmas, but it sounds interesting and like it would be a great addition to any school library. So again, if you're interested in checking out any of this work, don't stress about writing it all down. We'll send links to all of this out in the record recording, and we'll also send information on how to find his film things. 
If you have the literal free educator license, you won't be able to follow those links to Gary's books on the literal platform. Just reach out to us and we'll make that happen for you. And you're joining us from Central California today, is that right? Yes, I'm on the, I live on the Chumash Reservation. My wife is a member of the tribe. We've been together 18 years that I've lived here for that long. And many of the, much of the work that I've done in the last 18 years has also been things specifically for the tribe and the culture and the history, um, language and various things, kind of as special projects for them. Wow. And uh, tell us a little bit about your background. It looks like those objects are carefully chosen that you have back there. Well, <laughs> um, I didn't want a virtual background, so it's a real, <laughs> you touch it, it's really there. It's not. Oh, it's really there. <laughs> nice. So um, otherwise you see um, a junky bookshelf. So. Oh, yeah, that's a little bit of what we got here. Great. Yeah. Um, so all of these projects you've done, film and television and writing, I'm sure many of that, many of those things will be interesting to our audience, but today we're here to talk about your writing. So we'll dive right in with the question about why do you write? Why do you choose to write? Well, um, you know, I grew up in a family that was involved in communication. I was an urban family in Dallas, Texas. So we were removed from any sort of Native American cultural setting. But my dad was uh, in radio when I was a kid and I would hear him on the radio broadcasted during the day and kind of grew up around it. And then we'd go, sometimes I'd go with him to the radio station and see what that was about and just kind of was interesting. And <clears throat> when I went off to college, I started out as an anthropology major because I was interested in cultures. Mm. And when I got into classes and started seeing these awesome cultural documentary films about these other cultures, I went, oh, that's what I want to do. So I switched majors to radio, television, film, which of course, all of that is based on something that has to be written. Mm. So even though I was in the filmmaking mode, writing was always a part mm. of it. And what I discovered along the way, because I wanted to write books and things at a much younger age, but um, I guess partly I didn't have the patience for it, for one thing, because you could pick up a camera and start making things happening more quickly. But then um, as I got older and more involved, I would come back and back uh, again and again to the written word. Mm. I worked for tribes doing journalism and uh, we put on, you know, a tribal newspaper and things like that. So I was continually writing. But what I noticed is that uh, a writer by himself or herself can sit down and start making something happen all by themselves. Oh. Filmmaking is a collaborative issue that usually requires some funding and equipment and personnel, travel and, you know, a variety of things like that. Writing is simply you and paper or you and the computer and off you go. So it's got a, a lot of advantages. It's powerful to think about it that way, especially for our students who may be really accustomed to creating things quickly you know, on their phone, but even then you're dependent on other people to come and consume it. And when you write, it's really just you and your computer and you can write and it's there, it exists. So the creative process is, um, 
it's either frightening or rewarding or both because frightening is because you're staring at a blank screen or a blank piece of paper and there's nobody else there to help fill it up you're doing it on your own so you can take that as an opportunity to allow your mind your subconscious the experiences that you had to flow through you usually through your hands to begin laying things out or as it can happen sometimes to people you become paralyzed by <laughs> by the challenge so the trick is well, how do you manage that challenge I'm sure there are many listening who can relate to that. And you mentioned that your dad was in broadcasting, but he didn't write. He was on the radio and so he wasn't doing a lot of writing. Did you know any other writers in in high school or college? Zero. Nobody. Zero. Um, no, really, I didn't. And uh it was kind of up to me to see a path that made sense to me, though nobody else was really following that and um kind of stand out from the crowd or kind of you know travel to the beat of a different drum i guess you could say in a way mm. but things are different now there's so many people writing so many young people writing and publishing and finding success and there's so many places to be published online and in print in periodicals as well as in ebook or printed book form so there's so many places that writers can express themselves and be seen. It sounds like maybe what you're saying is if you if you fancy yourself a writer and maybe you don't see or know anyone who looks or thinks like you that's writing they're probably out there. You may just need some help finding that person or finding someone that writes or thinks like you. Well, and there's so much guidance online now cuz you can go you know on a search engine and enter how to write this or how to write that or and you'll find writers who put things up that don't cost any money to get access to tips on writing how to get the creative process flowing how to manage you know the the elements of writing that's all out there for the asking it's amazing to me That's that's great guidance too and to to know that there's a process behind it. I know uh many listening have probably written a five paragraph essay in English class, but a book or something longer format can seem overwhelming. It sounds like what you're saying is there's information out there to help you. Just go just go get it. Go get after it. Sure is and um it's and people that you know, I'm of an age that I'm there's certain styles that I'm familiar with and I use to write. But there are a lot of young people who are getting published and who are writing in different styles that are more accepted and you look at things like well literal for example that's I never would have thought of that that's something that didn't come to my mind but look at how uh, that's taking off great yeah that's it's interesting to think about all the different ways it's being presented so speaking of that when you write you get it on the page and it's published do you ever think about the students who will read your books and and how do you imagine them experiencing your books if you do think about that i don't have to imagine it because i have made several visits to classrooms as an author and i hear back from them um And so I've done it remotely through various devices like Zoom and Google Classroom. But I, before 
there was any limitation on where we go and what we do. I was doing it, you know, live in the classroom. So um, it was great to get that feedback because then I had solid evidence that what I was doing was affecting young people from fourth grade with my uh, Lands of Our Ancestors series, which portrays- oh, we didn't mention that. Yeah, this, this portrays California history from a Native American point of view through a set of characters. And at the beginning of the stories, they're like 12 and 11 years old and they're, they're Chumash Native people. Um, so I get the feedback from, from the students on how that's affecting them. And uh, it, it, is, uh, it let me know for one thing that the series of teen novels that you mentioned that I wrote first um, gave me the really the experience and the uh, feedback to know that when I attempted to blend history and engaging characters, I could actually pull that off and students would relate to that. So I've been very, very uh, gratified by how that's been accepted. That's great to hear. And, and it actually makes me think of uh, Standing Strong. Like that's, I said, that's my favorite. Yeah. Um, if any of you are listening and you are um, a, a really having a really tough time as a, as a girl, teenage person, um, I'm telling you, this book is so good. Right out of the gate, you're super raw and unapologetic about the life this girl is having. And I was so appreciative of that. Um, I think teenagers now are not naive to the fact that there's a lot of suffering and I think probably a lot of the students listening to us are really familiar with some of the things that Rhonda's dealing with in that book. Um, for adults it may seem shocking, but for students they're probably thinking those things are happening all around me all the time. The really interesting thing though is she is not pathetic. So she has a lot of really hard things happening but she's not, you don't feel sad for her, like yeah. you can't even rescue her. And I wonder how many students just would really relate to that. And, and if you hope that students take some action based on what they see Rhonda do or some of your other characters. Well, I think part of the, the message there and the lesson there is simply to just to engage in your life. Because a lot of young people, particularly, they say things, things are happening around them, things are happening to them, they feel like, and there's not a lot of opportunity to be in control. So you have a tendency to just check out and back off and pretend it's not your life, it's other people's lives. And mm -hmm. that that's the recipe for making things worse. You'll feel worse. A depression can come on, various things can come on that make you feel like this life isn't worth living. But if you turn around and engage in the challenges in life, um, take part in what's going on, you can find that there are footholds, there are places that you can take a little bit of charge and you can have a little difference and you can actually positively impact not only yourself and others. And I think that's part of what happens in Standing Strong, which is why it has that title, um, because by the end of it, she learns how to stand up for herself and stand strong, no matter what's happening around her. 
And yeah. It's not and, easy, and it's not just a pat answer, you know, that you can oh just say this or do that. It's it's a struggle. Yeah, and that leads right into the next question I wanted to ask you. So many characters in your book start out where you think you know who's going to be the hero and who's going to be the person who needs saving, and throughout the course of the book, that gets turned on its head in some really uncomfortable ways. I'm wondering if that's intentional and if that's tied to the cultural heritage of the characters, or if you see that as a more universal theme. Well. Um, gee, hmm. it's a it's a universal theme, but it's also I think because these are native young people re-engaging in 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 a lot of cases in their own tribal cultures.、Mm. It is part of the buried strength in in these cultures. So in a lot of cases. Native young people and others of other cultures have dismissed that because they want to blend in with what's happening in contemporary American youth life. But then they possibly turn their back on something that they dismissed or disregarded and rediscover in the process that brings a new sense of strength within them, but then allows them to. See people and situations around them in a different light, and therefore brings up that point that you make about well, there's somebody, somebody else is here is coming forward who's going to actually step up and be the role model or be, you know, the pathway to success. I love that, and I I like that students can choose books that maybe can help them figure out how to navigate that coming home to parts of them that. Yeah. Maybe I'd rather blend in and not think about,、oh. and especially in you know the current climate, being able to talk about those things that make you feel strong、uh, can be uncomfortable as a teenager. And maybe reading books like this could help you to facilitate it, as literature often does, helps us navigate the complicated、yeah. things in our life. And that's something that I think is、uh, misunderstood by a lot of people,、um, teenagers and adults, is that they think of literature, oh, it's fiction. It's not real. What that I need to read nonfiction to find out about reality. But good literature is so real and helps you realistically、um, get a handle on things going on in your own life. And so it, it's such a good pathway to discover how other people, even though they don't seem to be real, how other people, if they're well drawn and well created. Actually, provide examples of you know successful life or pathways, really kind of to freedom. This book,、uh, "Son Who Returns,"、um, is a little bit of an example. This this young boy who's、uh, 14 years old in this story, he calls himself four kinds of brown, and because of the blending of the cultural、um, the genealogies in his family. It's kind of a mix, an interesting mix, and it's based on real people that I know right here where I live. This is kind of set on a set in a fictional version of this community that I've been living in for 18 years. And the, the people who live here, live here when they read it, they go, "Oh, I know who that is." So <laughs> I've taken it from real life. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible that people connect, and I'm glad you brought up that book because in that book and in Rhonda's case, 
And also in uh, the Billy Buckthorn series, you you want, you get to love these characters and at the end you want a nice tidy ending for them. So I, I wanted Rhonda to just, you know, uh, have everything be just right. And, yeah. and I love, even though I sort of hate it, that at the end it's not like that because real life isn't like that. Um, it would have been wrong for Rhonda's life to be tied up in a nice neat boat, and it would be wrong to say that someone who calls themselves four kinds of brown at the end of the book is, and and he lived happily ever after, because that unfortunately is not what happens. Um, do you hope that people write a life for your characters after the book ends, or how do you sort of imagine that happening when you leave the ending open like that? Well, um, yeah, it's very often that I um, leave things kind of not neatly tied up because there's that room for continued imagination by the reader to go on to say, well, I can see some more things happening later. And um, then that also has done the, the uh, duty of allowing it the possibility of a sequel if someday there needs to be one. <laughs> That's just the, the realism of writing. But it um, leaves everything open-ended because our lives are always open-ended as far as mm -hmm. my experience has been. One episode of life just blends and becomes the uh, preceding chapter of the next episode of life. And so it's just an ongoing rolling affair. And that's the way I think the, the, these characters need to be looked at. Uh, I appreciate you, you know, talking about that that rolling continuance of life. I think another theme that is in many of the books is this idea that life is important and worth holding on to, even when it's very difficult, because you bring something unique just by the person that you are. Um, yeah. And. I think if if you're in a class uh, and you're dealing with those kind of topics, um, looking at at these books that Gary's talked about is a great opportunity for your students to maybe talk with you. And if you're a student listening, it might be a great way for you to talk back to your teacher about difficult things you're dealing with that you may not have the words to really describe because these characters go through those things and maybe um, help you to recognize the value that you bring just because you are you. Um, one of the really beautiful things about these characters is sometimes they don't do really extraordinary things. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they're just doing what they need to do to, to survive. And, and by those actions, they do really extraordinary things. Right. That's that's the point, I think, um, that that's important to remember that by being true to yourself, allowing yourself to ex be expressive, engaged in your own life, you never know when that next step you take forward is the step that puts you on a path that you didn't even know was possible. And that's happened to people I know and myself. You just get to a point where you feel like you're at a wall and I'm going to give up and I'm just going to stop trying. But you don't know that the next step you take the very next day is the one that puts you on an escalator to the top. I mean, it just you don't know it's there because you can't predict. You can't see the future. And the the thing that I think about sometimes is guidance in your own life. You know, um, a lot of people pray for guidance. 
they do a variety of things for guidance and they don't necessarily feel like they're getting answers or they're getting that guidance. But what I've found is that it's easier to guide a moving vessel than it is the one that's sitting still. So if you're moving in a direction and it happens to be the wrong direction, guidance might come to set you in off in a better direction. But if you're not moving forward, that won't, that can't happen. It's fun to hear you talk because I can hear like Rhonda's uncle coming out of your mouth. <laughs> it's because it's you who wrote it, but yeah, it, that's funny. It's really beautiful to hear you express that as your as yourself and share those sentiments with students. Well, I could talk with you forever, but we have to keep this in a chunk that they can show during a class period at school. And I want to make sure you have a chance to tell us about those books that blend history and realism. Um, will you share a little bit more about those? You showed us the postcard, but will you just share a little bit more about those? Yeah, um, I, I can tell you, I can give you a long version or a short version, depending on what you oh, Go ahead and share it with us. I think there's a, quite a few people listening who will be interested. Um, in, in 2015, here in California, um, there came to the forefront a major issue, and, and this has nothing to do with anybody's religious beliefs or anything, but the fact historically that um, a man who founded the Spanish Catholic missions in the 1700s in California was being made a saint by the Pope. And by and large, the native California, Native American population was hurt and outraged by this move because their own families experienced a history that was the true history that was a very different story than what was being told in schools and in the general public and in television and that was a painful devastating destructive history and since i had already written uh, several of the teen novels creating characters that lived in realistic tribal communities and cultures, I felt like maybe I could, I wanted to do something, number one, and then it felt like maybe I could take this on. So starting, knowing that fourth grade in California is the year that state history is studied, I looked at what were the requirements were, what needed to happen, and then I set about creating characters and life situations that matched what the story needed to tell. And since I had worked here with the elders in the culture department of the Shumash tribe, I um, talked to them about it, I got kind of an approval from them, started writing. And then um, after I wrote the first book, the first book in the series covers the, the Spanish mission era. My two characters, a 12 year old and an 11 year old who are cousins, we see everything that happens through their eyes. And the Spaniards come in, the whole thing starts to unfold, and we see how their lives are just thrown into a destructive turmoil. So once I got that manuscript finished, I had a fourth grade teacher tested in the classroom. I had the culture department and the elders evaluated. I got everybody on board and published the first book. And so I purposely left that at the end. It's a cliffhanger because the story continues. This is three generations of the Shumash family that we're following in these three books because we move into the Mexican ranch period, we move into the gold rush, 
and early statehood as experienced by this family. So what I started getting feedback and visiting with teachers and classes and what I heard over and over again is, when is the second book gonna come out? We you can't do that to people. <laughs> and there was like one girl that's like, I can't believe you did that to me, you know? <laughs> So I got busy and, and realized there was this was going to work and got, did the second and the third books. And so just, so that was 2015 when I started researching writing. It was 2019 when I actually finished all three books and then created teacher guides so that they could uh, be effectively used in classrooms and they would know they'd meet all the requirements. So I've been happy. It's been a slow process, process, but in the last six months, the San Diego School District, the San Bernardino School District, and the Los Angeles School District, among others, have started investing in these books, making them available as alternative ways to teach history. And being on Zoom with classrooms full of students, they just, the feedback I get, and the teachers are thrilled because students are saying, I'm going to be in class on time because I want to find out what happens next to these characters. Yeah. That's, you know, what you want. So exactly. And I would imagine even if you're not in California, although this is very closely tied to California, uh, that the storytelling narrative and the chance to see history um, from through someone else's lens is an opportunity that anybody could take. I agree. And, you know, you think about all of these others that are, nationally distributed and well received well they take place in individual areas i mean this is california this is um you know montana and we've got uh the uh, area of mississippi choctaw and this is washington state different tribes different locations but they have universal themes well i think if you are a classroom teacher and looking for different viewpoints on history different lenses um, then that would be an awesome opportunity. And you could even partner it with some of the fiction texts. Um, there is a lot of uncomfortable viewpoint exploring, I think, that would happen for students in those books. And a lot of opportunities to think about the way we may define uh, cultures or people that we've only seen one narrative of. I know I learned a lot. I read it with my 11-year-old daughter and we, cha we challenged some of our uh, assumptions and biases, honestly, and I really appreciated the opportunity to do that in a really safe and enjoyable book. It was um, a great opportunity, and I think those that same thing could happen in, in classrooms. So um, teachers, if you enjoyed this author chat, um, we invite you to distribute it, to share it with other people, um, forward the whole email so they have a chance to uh, see all of Gary's work and all of those links there. And if you want to see more like this, we'll have Jacqueline Guest on in about three weeks, and she's going to visit with us in the same way. And if you have more questions for Gary or want to get in touch with him, you can reach out to me and I'll put you straight through, or we'll also include that link in the email. Gary, I want to thank you again for being here today. I could talk to you for hours, thank you. but our time together has been really rewarding. Just zip by. <laughs> it did, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you take care. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.